Hello, Real Talk listeners. Welcome back. We are in an awesome series. I'm super excited, Michelle. We are back. We have a special guest today. We have a lot to talk about in this series. So just to kind of refresh your memory, if you didn't listen to our last couple of episodes and you're kicking in today because of our special guests, we are in our DE&I series. Um, and if you don't know what DE&I stands for, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And how do we create an inclusive environment full of diversity and equity within our organization? So we have a special guest, but with my business partner here, Michelle, do you want to introduce our special guest today? Absolutely. So like one of the things that I love about this series in particular, before we jump into you, Robin, is it's the value of equity and inclusion, right? Companies don't get innovation. They do not progress forward. Things do not change for the better when everybody thinks alike, when you have the same people thinking the same way, doing the same things every single day. And I think one of the things happens with DE&I is that we automatically think about race or ethnicity that immediately comes to mind, particularly coming off of 2021, where there have been some great conversations. But all of our guests that we've had have talked about the broadness that DE&I is. And Robin, after she tells us a little bit about herself, she's going to help us take that a little bit further and recognize some of the other groups of people who are marginalized or overlooked that could be incredible assets to the organization. But first, Robin, I would love for our listeners to get to know a little bit about you, brag about yourself. And I know you're, Robin is one of the most humble people I've ever met, but Robin, I'm going to ask you to take that aside. I have heard what people say about you um, in the HR industry. So I'm going to ask you to brag about yourself for a little bit. Oh, Michelle, you know that it's so difficult for me to do. Um, but hey, I do want to say thank you both for allowing me or inviting me to be a part of your podcast. It's quite an honor to get to spend a little bit of time with you. Um, Michelle and I actually worked together um, for a brief period of time. Um, and that's because I decided after about two and a half years with my last organization, that it was time for me to resign. And I needed to decompress. Uh, So I spent much of 2020 decompressing and deciding what I was going to do next. And that was after a 25-year career in HR. And as Michelle mentioned, um, I am fortunate that I do have a fairly good reputation Um, having been in the HR community in the upstate of South Carolina for a number of years and have been very engaged in the HR community and have had the opportunity to work for some very good organizations as well and been heavily involved in the community and a lot of good work that's brought me into or given me the opportunity to work in partnership with many organizations that I may mention during the course of the podcast today or tonight. So I have decided um, over the course of this last year to start my own business. So I am the president and founder of the HR Business Connect. We are a leadership development, coaching and HR consulting firm located here in the upstate of South Carolina. That is one of the many hats that I wear. I am still a volunteer leader in SHRM. So I'm a member of two of our local chapters here in the upstate, in addition to being part of our South Carolina SHRM State Council. And much of my workforce readiness role that I'm going to talk a little bit about in the DEI space comes from my work within SHRM and a lot of that being on the SHRM State Council. I am very blessed to have been uh, awarded by the South Carolina State Chamber and South Carolina SHRM State Council 
um, or be recognized a few years back as the HR Professional of the Year for the state of South Carolina. Um, so that was probably one of the biggest honors that I've ever received within my career. Um, and again, it wasn't so much for anything that I felt like that I've done. It's really the people that I've worked with and all the partners that I've had during my career um, giving me an opportunity to do the kind of things I've loved. So that's a little bit about me. And again, Michelle's the one that brought me here to spend a little bit of time with you today. So one of the reasons that I did that in particular, because of the last job that we had together, it was my first time ever when I had the ability to be so closely aligned with the HR side, with the employee relations side of HR. You know, Robin, as you know, I started out in a specialty within HR, started out in that world of L&D and then expanded into OD. And it wasn't until my time at the organization we worked together at where I was so aligned with that employee relations part. And I, you know, in complete disclosure here, I will tell you I was in awe. And I talked to you about this when I asked you to be on the podcast and you said, I don't know, am I the right person? And I said that there were there were a couple of things that you did when we worked together that immediately stood out to me as someone who was trying to progressively push equality in the workplace. And one was you participated in a veterans event or you attended a veterans event. And the other was actively attending SHRM training around people with special needs. So I immediately thought about you and thought, what a great resource to talk to our listeners about what's available to them. Yes. Um, and actually, you know, a lot of folks, whether they're members of SHRM National or not, I think they're probably not even aware of some of the resources that are available to them um, free of charge. It is phenomenal the amount of research that SHRM National and SHRM foundation does and what they provide to the business community and to the HR community. And so one of the things that you're referring to, Michelle, is the Veterans Summit that we hosted back in 2019. So the Sherm Foundation selected 50 inclusion captains during the year 2019. And I was one of the 50 chosen from across the country. That was the year, one of the years that I was the Workforce Readiness Director for South Carolina Sherm State Council. I had a chance to go to Washington, D.C. and learn about veterans and in the workplace, veterans and military spouses, and how to really improve not only from a hiring standpoint, the types of initiatives that we could put in place but as an employer, but also the types of in retention initiatives that we could perhaps introduce to a workplace. So my goal for 2019 was to come back to the state and communicate or do something to help other employers benefit from that. And so we decided, I partnered with a group called the Recon Network, and we hosted a veteran summit where we brought veterans and employers together, and we offered a couple of different tracks. And so there were opportunities for them to network together, but also go through some topics or some trainings that were unique to them. So that was one, I guess, one opportunity that I probably would not have had had it not been for materials for training and that charm provided. So when Robin and I worked together, there were definitely some things that you did that validated how important diversity was for you in the workplace. So I want to talk about two of those events. And as we talk through this, or as you share a little bit 
about why these events were so important, I also want us to pause along the way and talk about some of the resources. So let's talk about why the Veterans Event, the Veterans Summit was so important for you to be a part of and for you to bring it back to South Carolina. Let me back up just a little bit and share with the listeners a little bit about the Sherm Foundation. So the Sherm Foundation had introduced back in 2019 an initiative that was called the Veterans at Work Certificate Program. And as part of that, any HR professional, whether they were SHRM certified or not, could go through the certificate program. And in addition to becoming certified under this program, they could take it into their workplace, train their supervisors with this material. They could also use it to develop a more extensive hiring program retention program for veterans. So my goal that year, um, I was selected as one of 50 inclusion captains from across the country. My goal that year was to educate employers across the state of South Carolina on this Veterans at Work Certificate Program. So by creating this VET Summit, bringing employers together with veterans so that they could see, network with veterans, get see the benefits of working alongside veterans, hear some real life stories from veterans, share with them some best practices as part of the training sessions that we made available to the employers throughout the day. My goal was to encourage the employers to take it back and act upon it so that In South Carolina, we would encourage businesses to become more veteran-friendly. So that was just one example of what I consider an untapped talent pool that we have in our state. I agree with you completely. And I think that there is, like you said, there's a necessity for some education, particularly for the people who are reviewing those resumes, I can actually remember being a part of an HR-led, like, mini training session with regional leaders when I worked for a company called FedEx. And the HR manager gave each of the leaders at the table a copy of um, a resume from someone who had been in the military. And of all of the leaders at that table, only two of them could interpret what they were reading to sort of make it fit into our business. And the reason that those two leaders could do it was because they had been in the military as well. And so they could look at it and they could say someone who held this role in the Navy would have these sorts of skills or someone who did this would have these sorts of abilities. And it wasn't until then that the rest of those, and and our, our regions typically had about 20 leaders. And it wasn't until they, those two managers started breaking down the resume where everybody else piped up and they go, oh, is that what that means, right? And so I think that education piece of it becomes critical if companies are going to do different. So how could a company that doesn't have access to you or a DE&I officer, how did they get those resources from places like SHRM? Yeah, and that's an excellent question. And the other part to that, um, Michelle, is that there is an education required. And it's not just for the employers, but it's for the veterans as well. And one of the things that we learned as part of that veteran summit, because we did have veterans there going through their own track, is that they're not necessarily given that level of education 
as part of their transition out of the military or out of the service. No one's really educating them as to how to develop a resume so that employers can interpret it. So it's really interesting that, you know, employers need that level of education, but veterans need it as well. So that was definitely a benefit of bringing those two groups together when we had our panel discussion with both parties in the room. Um, that was a topic, quite a lively topic, as a matter of fact. So that was a very good question. Now, SHRM does have resources available, certainly if you go to their um, Veterans at Work Toolkit, but they have a digital toolkit online that offers several resources in addition to, as I mentioned in 2019, when they originally rolled out the certificate program, which was a 10-hour course that you could go through, there were some additional components of that that they had indicated that they wanted to develop that was not quite ready, and that was the digital toolkit. So now you have access to a much more robust in-depth program. So, and it's available to anyone. You do not have to be a SHRM member. So whether you're a small business, you don't have it, maybe an HR professional, you're, you know, a 50 employee business and the owner of that business is the one processing payroll. Even if you're a small business, medium-sized business, or a large business, you have access to this digital toolkit, and it is absolutely phenomenal. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. There's case studies out there. There's action plans out there. There's some plug-and-play out there. If you're wanting to create employer resource groups for veterans or affinity groups for veterans, there's step-by-step how to do that in this digital toolkit. If you're wanting to develop a mentoring program, step-by-step how to do that in this veterans digital toolkit. Certainly, if you need to know which sites to go to that are free and available through the government to do that translation of skills like what you were talking about, Those links are there in this digital toolkit. Now, granted, there's some great companies that will do that for you for a fee. We have one here in the upstate called Veterans Ascent. It's absolutely phenomenal. Not sure if I should say that. Give them a plug on the air. But but they're phenomenal. They're actually working on one right now for abilities, which falls under another untapped talent pipeline as well. Um, And so I think that's going to be a a great avenue for us. But again, any of this is available to folks, regardless if they're SHRM members. And there's no need to reinvent the wheel. There's so many resources available to people. You just may not be aware of it. I actually love the plug that you gave. I was was actually going to say, and I wouldn't have known the name, so I'm glad you mention it in advance, but I was going to say, if you are a listener who happens to work in a, in a field that, you know, in this case, we're talking about veterans, but in an industry or a field that is specialized, that most people wouldn't understand, reach out to someone to help translate that because the easier it is for that interviewer to translate your experience into applicable skills the further you will go in that interview process. So like you said, whether you're a company, don't reinvent the wheel, look for those resources. But if you're the individual, reach out for those resources also, because it just makes your process easier. Absolutely. And my understanding is that if you're a veteran that Rob Rob and Grable with Veterans Ascend, that they will actually translate your skills for you into the system. It's the employers who have to pay for the access to the system, but not for veterans. Now, I may be wrong, but that's my understanding. Yeah. Um, And, you know, it it can apply with lots of places, but I can comfortably look back at my experience in, and Maria worked at FedEx 
with me as well. You see, we just name drop all the time here, Robin. Um, one day we're gonna okay. one day we're gonna ask for payment. We'll have to tell people that. Right now, all of our name dropping is done with no what is it called, Maria? We are not being compensated for our name dropping. Um, we're really truly just giving you these names, inviting these people on these podcasts because we know that they do good things, um, not because we are being supplemented. But when I think back to FedEx, and most people don't realize this, Marie and I, we always refer to FedEx office in particular as kind of high pressure because it's sort of on-demand customized solutions. That's the printing part of FedEx combined with this really rigid 99.9% guaranteed on-time delivery. COVID changed that a little bit, but you know, in general, when you're striving for 99.9% on-time deliveries, it's pretty stressful. And when I think back to some of the most successful people, a lot of them were people who came from different industries. I remember working with someone from the Marines. He was a leader at one of our locations and he was, he was diffusing a situation with a very unhappy customer. And afterwards I gave him some kudos and, and he said, you know what, you see things a whole lot different when you've dodged bullets. And he said, I've never met anyone who can upset me. When you learn what real stress is, Diffusing a customer interaction is a piece of cake. But if his boss hadn't taken the time to understand what his skills really were, he wouldn't have ended up in that job and we wouldn't have ended up with one of the greatest leaders I've ever worked with. Yeah. Robin, you know, I, I kind of want to elaborate on some of the pieces that you just mentioned um, because there are so many things. Michelle and I went to a conference is that what those are called i can't remember it's been so long since we've been conferences what's a conference conference? i know so crazy we went to a conference robin and we met a ton of small business owners like you had mentioned 50 or less employees probably doing their payroll and their books as well and a lot of what creates our companies that we've done or that we've created from an HR consulting perspective are these small businesses that we really target because they don't have handbooks. They don't know what policies or procedures, especially once you do reach 50, right? FMLA may kick into your location. So, you know, there's there's a number of factors uh, that businesses need to be made aware of. And when you're just kind of an owner trying to figure it out and navigate yourself, it can become a challenge. And my biggest angst and anxiety is when they go through the interview process and they start asking those questions that may be protected or like, oh, you're pregnant. When's the baby due? And you're like, oh, gosh, you can't ask that. (laughs) But a lot of small business owners, um, small to medium business owners, uh, or just leaders in companies. Granted, I've had some nightmare of individuals of leaders at companies, large companies we've worked at, who ask some inappropriate questions ourselves. And they ask about the military pieces, right? And the best thing you can do is train your leaders when you do have a training and development team to ask or talent acquisition team to ask the right questions appropriately. Because There are individuals who may be in the military, like you had mentioned on a resume, and you can't just sit there and like talk about their whole military background. It's irrelevant to the job. Essentially, you want to focus on really if their degree in that military is relevant to the qualifications that meet the expectation of that role, whatever the case may be, right? You need to target your questions that are relevant. So what advice uh, would you give to small, medium business owners, leaders listening on this call right now that have had just comfortable conversations with individuals asking inappropriate questions that they don't think like, what are some tips or tricks you can give them or resources? I mean, should the small and medium business leaders or just leaders in general enroll into a SHRM or have some sort of guide produced for them from an HR consulting perspective? I mean, do you have kind of a, a, a forte or something that has been successful thus far? Because I'm telling you, 
I feel like every leader in every organization needs a resource like, oh, you're a manager. Here you go. Don't ask these questions. Like, <laughs> it sounds like you need to call Maria or call Michelle, get some assistance before you start interviewing for your next hire. <laughs> Yeah, actually, that is a very good point. And actually, Sherm, there, I don't want to overstep and speak for Sherm, certainly, but my understanding, the direction that they are heading is to develop and training that is much broader than the traditional HR professional that is training for people managers, and even making the organization more inclusive. So one of our local Sherm chapters has already announced their plans for growth, and their plans for growth over the next five years includes people managers, not HR managers, but people managers, because recognizing that so many traditional HR responsibilities now are being shifted to managers. And Sherm has recently rolled out a people people manager certification as well. So yeah, going back to whether or not a Sherm membership would be beneficial, absolutely. Is it going to help them though if they don't take advantage of some of the training that's available? Probably not. And you know yourself, I mean, looking around at members of your HR teams that you've worked with. And Maria, I have heard you talk on some of the podcasts about the hours you work, that you have got to slow down or you're (laughs) going to be in my boat in a few years and you are going to burn out. And so you're going to have to slow down. But if you look around at people that you have worked with, you know, where there's very little time for training and people aren't investing in themselves. And quite frankly, I think that's one of the things that contributed to where I was and why it was time for me to decompress is because I had no time to invest in myself for that last year or so of my job. And I had always prided myself on knowing and being the best that there was. And when I couldn't quote the latest law that had just come out, it was driving me insane. You know, but people aren't in, they aren't staying as up to date as they should because things are changing so rapidly. And so it is going to be very difficult for a small business manager to understand all that we would as HR managers and HR professionals. So, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, Michelle's paid you to kind of drop that little cue on the overwork. (laughs) I did. Yeah, no, I've heard you talk and I'm shaking my head every time I hear you talk about your hours. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, she's going to crash and burn. Just wait till she turns 50 like I did. And she she will be turning in her notice. But I will tell you, I had heard Dave Ramsey speak and say that he wished he had hired his, and I wish I could quote him right now, and I can't use, I can't specifically quote him because I don't have my notes in front of me, but but I wrote it down because he said he wished he had hired his C-suite, his HR director, when he hit 50 employees instead of waiting until he hit 75 for that very reason that he didn't know what he didn't know. So I do think the business owners should do it much sooner than they typically do. And I know that's off topic. <laughs> no, it's, yeah. but, no. but it's hard to recover from a lot of mistakes that you make. It is. And you know what, even you, know, Robin, I know you were joking, reach out to me or Maria, but there are, there are a lot of resources out there. You can get a, an HR consultant that you don't have to, I mean, you don't have to hire them forever. You can hire them to come in and audit a particular part of your business, help you write your policies and procedures. They can do one-off projects and then be done. And then you sort of keep them in your back pocket. And every time your business changes, you go back. They already know your business. You go back to that same person and say, here's what we're changing. Is there any impact? So 
reach out. You know what? I can comfortably say one of the most impactful trainings I ever did was it was actually at a Fortune 500 company and it was teaching their people leaders or their people managers how to interview. And it was shocking. And this particular company even had a guide with behavior-based questions. Like it would even tell you in the beginning, it would say, here are the seven competencies. Ask one question from each of the competencies. But the interview still went like this. It went, um, give me a time that you made a customer happy that was mad. Well, I had a customer who did X, Y, and Z. And then they would still pop up with these follow-up questions that were inappropriate or illegal even. So it was one of the most eye-opening things ever. The reality is, my opinion, I always argue this, teach your managers to interview better because your HR team should not be selecting who works for a manager. Um, The manager needs to be making that final selection but it does mean that they need to know how to interview well. True. And I, uh, you know, I feel like we got a little bit off topic because we're super into policies, which my bad, because I'm super passionate on compliance as everybody's listening to this podcast knows. But I think it is critical and important to talk through when you are talking about DE&I, especially from the hiring piece, there are so many components you just have to be super cautious on. So many individuals companies hiring managers with or without HR, I think you all just need to take a step back and figure out how you're going to assess, right? Even as simple as we want to know all of our veteran population. I mean, that's a sensitive question. You have to get approval and authority from all your team members or your employees to figure out if they're okay with you sharing that they're a veteran in your organization. If you're in the U.S., global is a whole other story, right? Um, When we're talking about international, but I feel like I just had to drop that in in the midst because I just want everybody to be very sensitive to the fact that it's great if you want to diversify your workforce in different, again, skills, ability, thoughts, race, gender, whatever the case may be, but just be very cautious and take us take it step by step. I mean, that brings up a very good point. I mean, Every company, and maybe we are talking about a larger company now, maybe not the mom and pop organizations, but really, you should have an overall talent strategy, right? And this should be part of your talent strategy. Who's going to do your interviewing and your selection? And how are you going to ensure that you're selecting um, the right folks? You know, are you using assessments? Are you not using assessments? You know, are there standard interview questions that you're incorporating? Are we always using behavioral-based questioning? So, yeah, you should have an overall talent strategy, a talent optimization strategy. And to your point, you know, if you're a global organization, that throws on an entirely another level of complexity into it, Maria. So another really big piece of that talent strategy, you mentioned, Robin, you mentioned engaging and keeping people and how there were some resources on that as well. Part of that talent strategy needs to be, are you making your your positions attractive to a diverse pool, um, both when you are talking about external hires as well as internal hires. Now, if you think about it, so much of that first step of screening happens through artificial intelligence, right? It's typically some words that you've programmed in your, um, your application process, you start to screen people out or screen people in. So if that first step is looking for keywords in some nifty little computer program, make sure the keywords that that artificial intelligence is looking for, you want to make sure that how you set that intake in doesn't incorrectly eliminate people from the process. Marie and I have talked about this in particular. It was probably one of the one of the times in my career where I had the most heartburn ever. It was I was talking to a leader of an organization and we were talking specifically about succession planning within the organization and the response that we got was there was one diverse person in the next two generations of the succession plan. 
And we were like, uh, or one um, minority in the, in the next two generations. So first of all, you guys have heard me say this a million times. I'll say it forever. A succession plan is not a guarantee. It is simply development for people that work for you so that you can retain talent that you need. It is not a promise of a future job. So first of all, that was their first mistake. But second was we kept saying, how are you finding these people to begin with? If literally every single person for two successions was a white male, what was the selection process designed like to begin with, except for that one person who was a white female? And so you've got to start at the beginning and how are you bringing those people in? Another thing, Robin, that you participated in, and it's funny, when you did, I actually saw within months of you attending the SHRM uh, training on people with abilities, and you'll give it the right name, I know, you know I hate details, Um, but literally within months of you going to that training, people under you, even without your guidance or your direction to have them do that, they were like, oh, I should do that as well. Um, And I saw them taking that training also. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So again, this was another program or initiative that Sherman Foundation rolled out. It was employing abilities at work. So it was a certificate program. Again, 10-hour course you could do basically at your leisure. You didn't have to be a SHRM member to participate. If you were a SHRM member, you would get your professional development credits if you were certified, which again was an incentive to participate. Honestly, I thought it was a better program even than the veterans program that I went through. One of the things that really stood out to me in that program was every single video that I watched And I think the videos were probably maybe 10 to 12 minutes in length. But every single training module, if a company took to heart what they learned and applied it, it wouldn't have just made the work site or the business better for someone who had a disability, but it would have made it better for all employees or all candidates for employment. So that was the thing that was, to me, a running theme through the entire 10-hour program, that every single action they recommended wouldn't have just made it better for someone with a disability. It would have made it a better place to work for everybody. So it was a phenomenal program. I'm assuming it's still available through SHRM if someone would like to access it. So SHRM had a, when I first moved into the workforce readiness role, and I've since moved out of that role into a different role in the state council, but they had a plan to, initially it was a focus on the aging workforce. Then it was to focus on veterans and those with disabilities. Next, it was going to be those who um, were formerly incarcerated or who had criminal backgrounds. So that's the one we're in now. So right now there's an initiative that has been brought full circle. So last year, or they even might have been the year before, they introduced a program called Getting Talent Back to Work by asking employers, state councils, SHRM chapters to take a pledge to show their willingness to hire folks with criminal backgrounds. But now they actually have another 10-hour certificate program that they've just released that is designed to educate employers, just like the Employing Abilities at Work and the the Veterans Certificate at Work program. It's giving employers all the tools you could possibly want, the justifications, the rationale, how to make a business case to the C-suite on why you would want to employ someone who's got a criminal background, such as one third of the U.S. population has a criminal background. (laughs) Um, So should we really be excluding that population? So it's everything you could possibly need as an employer 
or as an HR professional to be able to recruit and retain that talent pool. So um, again, all-inclusive toolkit, and there's an assessment with this one that will give you as an employer some recommendations specific to you and where you are in your current strategy. Nice. I'm actually glad that you brought that up because I want to flash back because um, you've heard a lot of stuff today about some resources and some things that you can implement an inclusive strategy in your organization. But I want to flash back to something that Nikki Lerner said in our first episode. And she said that one of the, the, the problems that she sees, and again, I'm not quoting her, but this is the gist of what she said. And one of the reasons that inclusion strategies fail is because the C-suite or the owner of the company, they don't come together and define what their vision is. They need to be clear on what their inclusion strategy is. They need to align all leadership and employees with that vision and the shared language around that vision so that they're all moving in the same direction. She said, she basically said that all too often people will say, you know, just do some DNI stuff, but they never really decided as a company, this is our inclusion philosophy. And this is how and what we will do. And if you don't behave that way, you don't get to work here. And without that one piece. So you're hearing all of these great resources, but guys, if you are the owner of a small business and you are trying to figure out this thing, you have got to take a step back and you've got to ask yourself, what is our inclusion philosophy? Now, it's a free country. You don't have to have one. I will tell you, you will probably not survive very long in the world if you don't put something in place uh, because this is a melting pot of a country. It means it needs to be a melting, well, it means it's a melting pot of consumers. And it needs to be a melting pot of employees that produce the products and services or lead the organizations that produce those services. So if you want your business to stay around, get yourself an inclusion philosophy and make sure everyone in your company lives it. Great advice. So Robin, the other day when we were talking as well, you actually mentioned a couple of really impressive companies that have willingly shared their DEI initiatives for other people to um, mirror. Will you talk a little bit about some of those resources? Give them some plug. It's okay to plug them. Yeah, one of the companies that um, I came across, and this was, um, I was doing a panel discussion, and I am by no means a you know, DEI expert. So I'm um, just put this out there, but I was asked to serve on a panel for a local conference and the topic was on allyship. And so when I was looking into some resources and doing some additional research on the topic, um, I came across General Mills and I'm not sure, Michelle, if you've heard of the work that they've done or Maria, but they have actually made everything that they have pulled together as an organization and offered internally to their employees. And again, they've got a department focused on this. Many employers don't, particularly small employers. So I think it's great that those large employers will do this, but they have made everything that they pulled together available to any other businesses that would like to use it. So you can actually access this. And I don't know if y'all have show notes or um, if not, I can probably, you do? Okay, great. So I can get you the link to this information, but I think it's fantastic that they've provided this, but it is generalmills.com. And I think it's under their responsibility tab, allyship resources. And there is a wealth of information there. They even have training that you can go through. And so it's, again, phenomenal. You know what? It really is a phenomenal thing. There are definitely some companies out there who have managed to do DE&I 
right. They do it well. And they're giving those resources to the rest of us so that like, I'm going to use the phrase that you said in the beginning, Robin, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Use what worked somewhere else. Use it, modify it for your business. But there's a reason to assume that you've got to start from scratch or you've got to be an expert. You just have to know to look for help. Right. And the other place that you can locate it, again, SHRM has a wealth of information out there, the SHRM Foundation, but the CEOaction.com forward slash CEOs. And I think that General Mills is actually part of that group. So that would be another place to go to try to find some additional information that's made available to the public as well. And then SHRM had an initiative again Last year, the original focus was going to be on employing abilities at work. They pivoted last year, as many groups did, many organizations and businesses. And they came out with another initiative mid-year called Together Forward at Work, which was focused on some of the social justice issues that um, were prevalent last year. But under that Together Forward at Work.sherm.org, I guess, site, you should be able to find some additional DE&I resources as well. It's a conversation that needs to be had. And we talk about this a lot, Robin. And um, often I'm a little bit jealous of the newer generation. You know, it's so funny. The X generation gets so much grief in the media. I actually read an article the other day about gaslighting of the X generation and how there was so much um, emotional baggage that was dumped on that generation because they didn't work the same way or they didn't do all of the same things. Like, you know, th- I think the article was called The Gaslighting of the Millennials, actually. And I read the article and I was like, it's spot on, right? But um, Marie and I, we talk about this and we've had a few guests who had very similar thoughts about this is this is a generation who's like, because technology has allowed them to be globally connected, right? It's, it's at their fingertips. Their friends are from all over the world. Their friends aren't from their homeroom class like they were when I was going to school. And because of that, this generation, they're not going to tolerate or stand for injustice anymore. And they're going to make it a big deal. Um, you know, earlier, I'm sure I get all the hate email. Maria doesn't really tell me, Robin, but um, I don't really care. Um, but earlier I told people that my niece, you know, I give her grief all the time. And I'm like, you calm down, right? But she'll find a business or she'll she'll do a ton of research. She doesn't assume that she read it online that makes it true. She really does. Her mom taught her to do the research to make sure something was accurate. But the minute she knows a company is stagnant or not progressive or uh, demonstrates injustice of some sort, she will just blast the heck out of them. On social media, that's that's what they do now. So guys, seriously, I cannot reiterate this enough. If you do not have an inclusion policy or philosophy that allows your company to become more progressive, to move forward, to just be human a little bit, then it's time to do it now. So any last words of advice for our listeners, Robin, or any other pieces you find that are the most critical for people to consider before we kind of send them on their way to actually go apply some of the pieces that you have? Because I know they're running right now, or if they're on their computers or on their phones listening to the podcast, they're looking up all these toolkits you mentioned. They're making sure they have questions asked appropriately for their interviews. They're making sure they uh, create a diverse workforce or take a look at some ERGs. But any last words of wisdom before they go out there and start doing their research or delving in or reaching out to you directly? Yeah, and I think you've already, we've really already touched on this. And Michelle mentioned it when she was talking about a vision. And it really does need to start at the top of the organization. You have got to have that support from the very top of the organization. And when I mentioned the talent strategy, this really needs to be built in to your overall company strategy. 
And again, exactly what you're saying, Michelle, but I want to take it just one step further. And that is for those businesses that are thinking about long range, maybe expansion, think about how you can incorporate this into your expansion plans as well. And the example that I want to give, and I'm saying this probably because I'm from Anderson County, South Carolina, and we've got a great example here in Anderson, South Carolina. But we have a facility here, Walmart Distribution, where the facility was built with the intention of making it accessible to a workforce with different abilities, meaning those with disabilities, was the first of its kind for Walgreens. Did I say Walgreens earlier? It's the first of its kind for Walgreens. And the reason was because the gentleman who was put in charge of finding the facility, building the facility, his son had autism. It's a great story. I'm going to give you all the information, maybe a link to that to also put in the show notes. But the last point that I wanted to make was that DI inclusion shouldn't be an HR thing. It shouldn't be something that HR drives. You really need to have champions in your organization outside of HR. And that's the reason And I hope folks will go and look up the story of Walgreens distribution. The reason Walgreens is so successful with this distribution facility. And it became a showcase and an example for all of Walgreens from that point forward. Because they had a champion who had a reason to make it come to life. He had a vision of what it could be and how the company, but also a workforce of the future could benefit from an organization that cared. That's one of the things I wanted to leave the listeners with is that if you, it needs to be a vision that the top of your organization has really bought into, but it needs to have support from someone outside of HR as well to help drive that vision. I agree. It's fantastic. And I, you know, listeners, listen in. I think the last words she mentioned are so critical. It's got to have the support of your leadership, of those outside of HR, because in HR, we are super passionate about this topic. We live it, we eat it, we breathe it, we talk about it, we socialize it because we have nothing else to talk about when we're all hanging out with each other on, well, you know, on a call or on a Zoom call or whatever the case may be. So listen to those words Robin mentioned. It is fantastic messaging for you to really take and implement. Um, So Robin, thank you so much for joining us. Such great insights. I know a bunch of people are going to jump off this podcast and start stealing some of your ideas that are absolutely free for them. But we will make sure we include those uh, those locations that Robin mentioned in our show notes. Take a look as well on our website, realtalent.com. Until next time, take care, listeners. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.